Hey, good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good week, a good Tuesday as we record this. It is December 29th, and that means only one thing. That means that uh, there are two days left in this godforsaken year. 21 has got to be a step up. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but it almost has to be. A year like no other. And I know we're all in the same boat. This country may not agree on much anything, but I know we'll all agree that 2020 can go away. Brody Lee, a Rochester wrestling legend, passed away over the past week. And, you know, it's one of those final straws of 2020 that it's just a reminder of how much we've had to deal with as we go through this year. It's been tough on all of us and tougher for some than others, obviously, with loss and whether that loss may be a, a job, a loss of income, family member from COVID or whatever else, it's been rough. And hopefully the year coming up will be better. I did have to laugh the other day about 2020 because, uh, you know, on Christmas and some holidays, you, you'll get people who will go through their entire phone and send out a Merry Christmas or a Happy New Year. I got a Merry Christmas uh, text from a guy the other day. The last text I had got was, hey, all the best in 2020. Hope you have a great year. I wanted to reply, screw you, pal. Haven't heard from you in a year. And last time I did, I wanted to punch you in the face now in hindsight. But, you know, it's almost over. Hopefully we'll move forward. Speaking of moving forward, let's get into it. The Buffalo Bills moved forward last night with what has been – a remarkable year. I, I looked at the schedule. I'm thinking this is a better team. Nine, ten wins, I think, would be a very good accomplishment for this team. Yeah, well, the Bills won their 12th game last night. They trounced the Patriots. And, you know, for Bills Mafia, this has got to be sweet justice because for years they were Belichick's little bitch. Let's face it, the 20 years the Bills were owned not by Ralph Wilson or not by – Tim and Car- Par- Kim and Terry Pagula. No, they were owned by Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. And that ownership has now gone away. And the Bills last night put it to the Pats. And they put it to them good. Josh Allen, who, according to the broadcast, hadn't really made a big impression on Belichick as of yet, had another great game. And, and this one, 27 to 36, four touchdowns, 320 yards. I think the bigger story with Josh, not not only was he great and accurate and, and did all the things that he's been doing so well all year, said he was hit only once in the game. Bill's offensive line seems to be gelling at the right time. And while I'm not necessarily an Ike Bodiger fan, I'm not a Brian Winters fan, I wasn't a Cody Ford fan, I think they have a weakness at guard. I love John Feliciano, and I think the impact that his return from injury has made has shored up this line in a way that is playing great football. And I think as the Bills now move into the playoffs, looking at the need to run the football, to either close out a game or to just eat some clock or to provide relief for Josh Allen and make the defense not be one-dimensional against the Bills, I think this offensive line may hold the key to the Bills' future because, let's face it, as we look at this Bills team, it was always defense first, offense second. It's not the case right now, and it's not the case for this year. 
If the Bills are going to get to where Bills Mafia hopes they can go, it's going to be because they outscore teams. When they end up against the Steelers or whoever, the Ravens, they need to put 30 on the board. They need to be able to do that. They went against a good defense last night in New England. Yes, they were dinged. But that secondary, even without Stephon Gilmore, is a challenge. You saw it early on. With the Bills line giving Allen time and giving Stephon Diggs time to get open was key. I mentioned Diggs because he had three touchdowns last night, nine catches, 145 yards, nine catches on 11 targets. You know, often when you have a star wide receiver, quarterback will invariably force the ball to that wide receiver. And you do that for a couple reasons. One, you want to get your best player the ball as often as possible. Two, you want to get them involved, and often star wide receivers are divas. This year, at least, Stefan Diggs is not a diva. He has not been whatsoever a diva. You want to get them involved early because it gives the defense something more to worry about. Well, this year, looking at the way the Bills have involved Diggs, the completion percentage that they have with him, upwards of 75%, that's huge. For your best player, who at times you're forcing the ball to, to have a completion percentage of 75% to that guy is really quite impressive. So another good thing there. And, you know, i got to look at the season numbers for Allen and Diggs. Allen, 69.1% completion percentage. Now, Sunday, the Bills play the Dolphins, and I, I believe that Allen plays at least most of the game because they do need to win this game for the number two seed, the Steelers and the Bills vying for that two seed. The home field advantage isn't what it was, but if you're going to have to play the Steelers again, you'd much rather play them at New Era Field or Ralph Wilson Stadium or Rich Stadium, anything other than what it's currently called, because I just hate that name. I think it's stupid and generic, so I won't call it that. But, you know, if you look at it, it's it's an important game. So I think Allen plays but 69 percent completion percentage for the year never in my life did i think josh allen would be close to a 70 percent completion guy he's a down the field thrower of the football and you don't get to 70 percent throwing it that way drew Brees doesn't get to 70 percent throwing the ball down the field it's just crazy to see 4320 yards on the season that means josh allen's going to end up with 4500 yards a 5,000-yard season could be in his future. Again, didn't think I'd say that. 34 touchdowns. That's the new franchise record set last night. Only nine interceptions and 106.4 quarterback rating. Those numbers in year three put him literally in the top five of quarterbacks in the NFL. And when you take into account the eight touchdowns via his legs, the ability to keep plays alive, the maturity, the value to the franchise – Josh Allen, I think, is going to be a very rich man by the time next season starts. It wouldn't shock me if the Bills extend him before next year. Dig season, it's just crazy. He currently leads the NFL in catches and yards. 1,459 yards on 120 catches, the eight touchdowns. Just what an impact. And, and you know, that trade, yeah, he Brandon Biggs, Brandon Bean gave up too much for Diggs. He definitely did. But at the same time, when you give up too much and you get exactly what you need, 
did you really overpay? It's, it's a kind of a funny way to look at it. And Bean recently talked about it, and he talked about the additional picks, not just the number one. The number one, everyone would have been okay with, but the fact they threw in a fourth, and I believe it was a seventh or a sixth and got a seventh back. Bean said they couldn't have got from 22 to 17 with the additional picks based on the draft value, the draft value chart. So when you look at it that way, I guess it makes a little bit more sense that they did that at the time. But right now, I don't care what they paid. They paid for a guy who changed their team. And, and that's what trades are about. You bring in somebody in to change your team for the better. Speaking of changing the team, the defense has gotten better. And I think it's not hard to figure out why. To me, it's pretty simple to figure out why. Your two best linebackers and your two primary linebackers, Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, both dealt with injuries early on. Edmonds played through his injury, though you could tell he wasn't right. You could tell that Edmonds was fighting it a little bit. Milano missed some time, spent some time on IR. Well, he's back and back healthy. And Matt Milano had a hell of a game last night, making plays all over the field as he always does. The Bills have done a great job of locking people up to this point. Deion Dawkins, Trey White, even Bean and McDermott. I hope an extension for Milano is in the works because as I was watching the game last night, I'm thinking this is a, this is a guy who's going to be a free agent after this year. I don't think the Bills can afford to lose him. I know A.J. A. Klein, excuse me, A.J. Klein showed some flashes when Milano was out. But down in, down out, there may not be a better defensive player on the team than Matt Milano, and I really mean that. He is consistent. His impact is huge. And I think he's just getting to the point where the Bills are realizing how good this guy can be. So I, I really hope it's in the cards for an extension for him. The Patriots last night did show how good the Bills' defense was. Cam Newton was sacked. Three times. The Pats only managed 201 total yards. The Bills forced them to punt seven times. The Pats only four of 12 on third down. It was just an old-fashioned ass whooping. There's no better way to say it. And I'm sure Bill Belichick today is looking at things and saying, you know, this isn't what I really thought this year was going to be. But the Patriots will be back. I do believe that. They haven't drafted well. Belichick needs to find a replacement for Tom Brady. I don't think Cam Newton has much football left in him. I, I, the arm just I, – I think the, sh the shoulder surgery he had has just taken away the zip on the ball that he needs to, to get the job done. I think Cam is done. But there was something else, and I've always – Sean McDermott's a great coach, and I've always been critical of one area, his game management. But something happened last night in the game that I was so happy for, for Sean McDermott. If you remember last night, the Bills had a fake punt. And in that fake punt, Joquan, Joquan Johnson, lefty, threw a pass to Saran Neal, and the Bills get a first down. And it was a play where the gunners for the Bills were not covered. I want you to look at video from last September when the Bills and Patriots played. Look at this video and then remember the play from last night. 
Oshesky is the deep man. He's been dealing with a hamstring issue, and it's blocked. The Horquez could not get it off cleanly, and the Patriots got it. J.C. Jackson on the recovery. Touchdown, New England. The block from Jackson. And the recovery downfield for the Pats. Wow. A stampede, and look who it is. The Pro Bowler Slater. And this is a tremendous effort to get to the foot by Jackson. And then a nice, beautiful bounce for Slater to take it into the end zone. That's a game-changing play. And it was a play that I remember going on the radio the next day and lambasting Sean McDermott. Patrick DeMarco at the time was the special team's captain. And the entire Bills staff for not doing one of two things. Your gunners aren't covered. You've got 10 men at the line of scrimmage. You've got more guys than you can block. Two things have to happen if, if you're the punt team. One is you call whatever audible it is to throw a pass to that guy who's uncovered. Or you call a timeout and get reorganized. Bills did neither. Punted, got it blocked. It was a game-changing touchdown for the Patriots. They went on to win that game fairly easily. Last night, same situation. McDermott was prepared. And the throw from Johnson to Neal gets him a first down and leads them down the field for their first touchdown. A huge momentum switch in that game. If the Patriots get a block punt there, could have been a different story last night. I thought it was great attention to detail by Sean McDermott. Maybe a little arrogance by Belichick in that, hey, they didn't do it last year. Maybe they won't this year. Now, well, they watch film too. And I thought it was a great piece of coaching for the preparation to learn from your past mistake and to be ready for it this time. That was excellent. I was very, very happy to see that. Now the question is week 17. What do you do if you're Sean McDermott? You know, you've got to approach this game, in my opinion, like any other game. You keep the ball rolling. And I know injuries are a huge part of the NFL. You hope that nobody gets hurt, but you got to play football. I think you've got to keep the momentum rolling. This team is on a roll. To pause that momentum now, I think, does a disservice for the potential playoff run that the Bills will be going into now you could approach it that way and start it that way and if the game goes one way or the other where it gets out of hand you pull your starters immediately and let's face it with a 53-man roster and only 45 able to dress on game day you can't pull everybody anyway this isn't a preseason game where you have 85 guys this is quite simply you take Josh Allen out you only have a couple running backs you can run the ball with unless you're going to go with Taiwan Jones or maybe T.J. Yeldon if he's back off the COVID list, I, there's only so much you can do. Offensive line, those guys, there's eight guys dressed. Unless you're going to sit a Mitch Morse for a game or a John Feliciano for a game, I, I just don't know where you rest people. So I think the Bills need to approach it like any other week. Go out there, try to get that 13th win, get that second seed. They do hold the tiebreaker over the Steelers. And if you get that and you're able to 
get the second seed. You know you don't face Kansas City until the championship game. You know that every game other than Kansas City is played at your stadium. I think there's a lot of benefit for that. The AFC playoff picture looks like this. The, the, the Chiefs are in control of the number one seed. They will host all games. They play a meaningless game against the Chargers this week. It's just that's the only spot we know about. Pittsburgh and Buffalo are going to be the two and the three seeds. We know that much as well. So who ends up at two and who ends up at three? Where that comes into play is if the two of them meet in the second round of the playoffs, it will decide whether or not it's in Buffalo or Pittsburgh. Tennessee and Indy, one of those two teams will get the four seed. Both are now tied for that spot in the AFC South. Indy plays the Jags. Tennessee plays at Houston. I I didn't like what I saw from Indy last week against Pittsburgh. I got to be honest, but then you look at Tennessee, what they did up in Green Bay, I thought they got their asses kicked too. So I'm not sure who comes out of that one. I do think this, that the team that doesn't win that game has a really good shot at not making the playoffs, which is really crazy because both of those are pretty good teams. Right now, Miami's in the five spot. Of course, if they lose to the Bills, that could change dramatically. The Ravens are in the sixth spot, and I think they have a chance to slide up to the fifth spot. They play at Cincinnati. That should be a game that they get done easily. And then, of course, the Browns, who lost to the Jets. I'll get into that. They play the Steelers this week, and that's one of those games that I think is it's going to be a great game, and it's very likely that that game not only decides if the Browns get in or not, it may decide if the Bills are the two seed as well. So a lot of good football left to be played. I, you know, it's always bittersweet for me this time of year when you have one game left in the NFL slate. I, I, I'm such a huge football fan and enjoy every week of football. The fact that we only have one week left bums me out a little bit. But I'll say this, wild card weekend is now one of those epic weekends where you have three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday, great football all weekend long. It's going to be excellent. So let's take a look at the rest of week 16. The Saints on Christmas Day with Alvin Kamara wearing two different color cleats, which he'll likely get fined for. But fortunately for Kamara, those cleats are going to end up in the NFL Hall of Fame because he decided to score six touchdowns in those cleats. The hypocrisy of the NFL finding a player for cleats that he wore during the game that didn't fit the uniform code and then taking those cleats and putting them in the NFL Hall of Fame on display because he scored six touchdowns in them. It says about all you need to know about the NFL. Saints are on a roll. Drew Brees starting to look better, more healthy. Still think they are a defensive team. If they get in, that's why they win. What I didn't like about that defense was the fact they gave up so many yards to Delvin Cook and the Vikings. So keep an eye on that. You know, this time of year, you get into games where teams quit. And, you know, J.J. Watt had a, a great speech that I'm going to play here for you about why teams quit and why, why they shouldn't. Listen to this, and then I'm going to talk about Tom Brady and what the Buccaneers did this week.
If you can't come in and put work in in the building, go out to the practice field and work hard, do your lifts and do what you're supposed to do, you should not be here. This is a job. We are getting paid a whole lot of money. There are a lot of people that watch us and invest their time and their money into buying our jerseys and buying a whole bunch of shit. And they care about it. They care every single week. We're in week 16 and we're 4 and 11. And there's fans that watch this game, that show up to the stadium, that put in time and energy and effort and care about this. So if you can't go out there and you can't work out, you can't show up on time, you can't practice, you can't want to go out there and win, you shouldn't be here. Because this is a privilege. It's the greatest job in the world. You get to go out and play a game. And if you can't care enough, even in week 17, even when you're trash, when you're 4 and 11, if you can't care enough to go out there and give everything you've got and try your hardest, that's bullshit. So that's how. I just, I think it's, that's, there are people every week that still tweet you, that still come up to you and say, hey, we're still rooting for you. We're still behind you. They have no reason whatsoever to. We stink. But they care. And they still want to win. And they still want you to be great. That's why. Those people aren't getting paid. We're getting paid handsomely. That's why. And that's... That's who I feel the most bad for is our fans. And the people who care so deeply in this city. And the people who love it. And who truly want it to be great. And it's not. And that sucks as a player to know that we're not giving them what they deserve. That's about as good as it gets from J.J. Watt. You know, I'm not a J.J. Watt guy. I think he's a guy who loves the spotlight. But at the same time, there's no denying he's a Hall of Fame player. There's no denying the impact he had a couple years ago during the hurricane down in Houston, the, all the good he's done. And you look at the Texans, they're in rebuild mode, and they don't have draft picks because Bill O'Brien's an idiot. But J.J. Watt's a, a, a guy who's coming to the end of his career, still got value, and still could help a team. And he's actually playing very well this year, stayed healthy this year. If I'm Brandon Bean, I might look – to Houston and say, how badly do you want to restock your draft and try to make a play to bring in J.J. Watt? Because if that guy that you just heard doesn't fit what Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are trying to do, I don't think anybody does. And on the field, I would liken his impact to this current Bills team similar to what Charles Haley did to the Dallas Cowboys in the early 90s. If you're old enough, or by chance a Cowboy fan, there was a young defense that was getting better, getting better. The offense was coming along, had some great young talent. And all of a sudden, Charles Haley comes in as the missing piece to the puzzle. The Cowboys win three out of four Super Bowls. Not saying the Bills would win three out of four Super Bowls if J.J. Watt came in, but I really think that – if you sent your number one, especially if it's a late 20s number one, which we project it to be at this point, if you send that to Houston for J.J. Watt, you've just put an impact player on your team that made every other player around him much, much better. Just something to file away. But what J.J. Watt was talking about were teams this time of year who have one foot out the door. 
Detroit Lions are certainly that. They had fired Matt Patricia earlier this year, playing out the string. Tom Brady in the first half, 22 of 27, 348 and four touchdowns. Didn't play the second half. Brady's having statistically a very good year. And while I'm still not on board with how well he's playing, it's not deniable that he's gotten better over the last couple weeks. They haven't had Ronald Jones in the backfield. Leonard Fournette's given him basically nothing. And Brady has found a way to incorporate Antonio Brown in. Chris Godwin's being more effective coming back from injury. Gronk's a big part of it. Had two touchdowns in the game against Detroit. I think that this Tampa offense is playing the best football they're playing all year. And again, if Ronald Jones comes back for the playoffs and can be as effective as he was during the regular season, who knows? I, I still don't think they're a team to beat in the NFC, but they're going to be a tough team to beat in the NFC. The game of the weekend may have been the Raiders-Miami game. Ryan Fitzpatrick, the cockroach, I always call him the cockroach because you can't kill a cockroach and you can't kill Ryan Fitzpatrick's career. If you think his career is dead because he's a backup to somebody, just wait. He'll come out of the mothballs and all of a sudden you look and go, Oh, Fitz just did something Fitz-like again. Fitz was great against the Raiders. See, 9-13, 182 yards, had a touchdown, made the great throw while getting his head twisted. You know, it was one of those finishes that you look at and you're like, how did that just happen? Miami tied the score with 401 left in the game. From that point on, there were four more scores in the game, each of which caused the other team to take a lead. Really impressive game. And, you know, John Gruden took a lot of heat for taking a knee and setting up for a field goal. I didn't love it. Let me let me just say that. I did not love it. And I understand why people get upset. But in the big picture of a game and managing a game, what John Gruden did was set his team up to be up in a game, have the opportunity to kick the ball away, Kick the, and, and nowadays kickoffs are touchbacks 90% of the time. And the other team has 19 seconds left to get to a point where they're going to have to try to kick a field goal to beat you. So think about that. You're at the 25-yard line. That's your starting point. You have one play, essentially, because you don't have a timeout, unless you can throw it out of bounds. So you guard the sidelines. You guard the deep middle. No way two plays gets you in field goal range unless something horrific happens. Two horrific things happened to the Raiders. They didn't cover properly and allowed for a deep pass to be completed at the boundary where the guy gets out of bounds, and they committed a 15-yard penalty on top of it. Those two things can't happen. Neither one of them can happen. Both of them happen. Again, didn't love what Gruden did. I still think he was right for what he did. The result doesn't show it, but I think it was the right play 99.9% of the time. Watch out for the Bears. I, I don't know why I'm saying this, because it's true probably, but I don't understand it. All of a sudden, the Bears are an offensive juggernaut. David Montgomery has been great all year, and we, we kind of know that. But they put up 41 on the Jags, and yeah, the Jags have now lost 14 straight and have sewn up the uh, Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. But Trubisky, since he's been back, and now for the year, 65% completion percentage, 
16 touchdowns, seven picks. He's 95 quarterback rating. It's a guy they had all but given up on. I think Trubisky's got to come back next year. And the Bears, uh, Matt Nagy, I think I think they got it going in the right direction. I don't know that they're able to get in, and I'll cover the NFC championship or the NFC playoff picture in a minute. But the fact they lost six in a row and are still in the conversation, props to them for fixing what went wrong. Speaking of fixing what went wrong, that'll be the offseason work for the Atlanta Falcons. They got to fix ways to not give up leads every week. They had Kansas City beat, and then they had them tied. They're kicker, and I hate kickers, but Koo is the best kicker in the NFC this year. He missed one field goal. Not only did they, the Falcons drop a Patrick Mahomes interception in the end zone that would have sealed the game, Koo's got about a 38-yarder, I think it was, to tie the game, send it to overtime. He misses. Of course he does. Allows the Chiefs to sew up the one seed. And for the Falcons, actually, good miss. You hear that on the golf course a lot. Good miss. Friend of mine this year, we're playing golf. I hit it to a foot, and he said, good miss. Wanted to punch him right in the face. Not really. He's my boy, but I kind of did. But that was a good miss because now the Falcons move up in the draft and will likely take a franchise left tackle out of Oregon that will hopefully set the next regime up and the next quarterback because I don't think Matt Ryan will be back there. And I think that the Falcons will look back on this loss as a good miss. I mentioned the Jets beating the Browns. This is the NFL 2020 because the NFL doesn't care about your competitive balance bullshit. That's just something that we care about. They don't care. You lose your top four wide receivers, play the game. You lose your quarterback, play the game. You have no coaches, play the game. We're getting our games in. That's the bottom line. And that's what happened to the Browns. You lose your top four wide receivers. Well, to me, this is on two people, Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield turned the ball over a couple times and late on a quarterback sneak, which why are you using a six-foot, 200-pound quarterback on a quarterback sneak late when you have Nick Chubb? Uh, it doesn't make sense to me, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Stefanski had Baker throw the ball 52 times. Didn't I just say they were without their top four wide receivers? Yeah, I think I did. You've got the best running game in the NFL with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, and you throw the ball 52 times. I don't care if Jarvis Landry, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I don't care if they're out there. You don't throw the ball 52 times. You run the football. Stupid football costs the Browns this opportunity. And, you know, there's something else i got to point out about the Jets. Sam Darnold now. He's the king of late-season football. <laughs> Sam is a guy who, at USC, I saw promise, and I still see promise. Unfortunately, what I haven't seen since USC is any improvement. Maybe a little improvement, but he's still the same quarterback he was then, still makes the same mistakes he does then. Don't be fooled by the fool's gold that is late-season Sam Darnold. It is rookie year. In his last three games, he didn't win any games, but he threw five touchdowns and no interceptions in the last three. Last year, he went three and one in the last four. And when you look at that, three and one with six touchdowns, three interceptions, it gives you hope for this year. Well, he's on it again. Jets have won two in a row. They should have beat the Raiders. 
they all of a sudden seem to be playing better. He hasn't thrown a pick in a few games. Don't be fooled by what Sam Darnold does late in the season. This guy hasn't yet figured it out. And just because a few games go well at the end, don't look to next year and think, yep, he's got it. Now, I'm not advocating for Justin Fields in that spot. I'm just saying if you're going to go forward with Sam Darnold, do it because you got him on a fourth-year, essentially, rookie deal, which isn't expensive, and you want to give him more time to develop to see if it's there. Don't say you're going forward because you've seen improvement at the end of the year. I mentioned the Steelers rallying over the Colts, and this I thought was a huge game. Ben Roethlisberger looked like Ben Roethlisberger. He had three touchdowns, 342 yards. They're down 24-7, to come back to win 28-24. to They still can't run the ball. Defensively, I think they're very good. I don't trust Ben overall, but it's something that when you look at the Steeler team, they're going to be a tough out because if you play defense in the playoffs, you can turn the ball over. As long as Minka Fitzpatrick and T.J. Watt are on the field, you're going to have an opportunity to turn the ball over. This is something to be careful of. And for Indy, you know, I don't know where their season ends. We'll see. If they make the playoffs, if they get the win this week, they need. But Phillip Rivers isn't the answer at this point. Rivers is a guy I've loved for his entire career. I thought he was a great quarterback. Just don't see it now. He tries to make the big play too often in crunch time. It's not winning football. It's not the way you, you win this time of year. I don't think the Colts are a factor in the playoffs if they get in. Because of Phillip Rivers. Carolina beat Washington. And, you know, you want to talk about a week. Dwayne Haskins. What a week. Dude goes to the party with, I guess it was his girlfriend's birthday party. Strippers there. Okay, whatever, dude. You're doing what you're doing. You don't put it on social media, you dumbass. Unmasked. You know you're going to get in trouble. Think. Just have a brain. The Dwayne Haskins here in Washington's now over because not only did he get benched by t- for Tyler Heineke, which, who exactly Tyler Heineke, but now you've taken the kid who was the 15th pick just last year, and he's a free agent. Look, I think Haskins may eventually down the road figure it out. He can throw the football, he really can, but he's immature. He doesn't work hard. And if you're a quarterback, those two things will get you fired. And they got him fired. It's too bad. And, you know, here's another Dan Snyder moment. Dan Snyder was sold on Dwayne Haskins. Nobody else in the building apparently was. Well, the owner's all that matters. So Dwayne Haskins was the pick. Here we are a year and a half later. That first-round draft pick is out the building. Unbelievable. It's Dan Snyder in a nutshell. Hopefully Ron Rivera is going to be able to make sure that that doesn't happen again. The NFC East is a joke, and, you know, the Redskins, they have a chance still to win it. They play the Eagles this week. Cowboys and Giants play this week. The Redskins win, and either Heineke or maybe Alex Smith, if he's healthy enough, will be a quarterback. The Redskins win, they win the division. I'm sorry, not the Redskins. The Washington football team. Oh, very wrong of me. The Washington football team wins. They win the division. If they lose, the winner of the Giants-Cowboys game 
wins the division. The Cowboys have now won three in a row, and they're starting to look like a little bit different team under Mike McCarthy. They cut a couple guys. Don Terry Poe was a cancer. They got rid of him. They traded Everson Griffin, got rid of him. Daryl Worley, who actually is on the Bills practice squad, and I pray to God he doesn't see the light of day anytime soon, was awful. And, and these guys are veterans who weren't along for the ride. They've gone away. Addition by subtraction. McCarthy seems to have a better idea how to run the offense. They're going to lose Kellen Moore to Boise State. I think that's a good thing. Now McCarthy gets to pick his offensive coordinator and be completely on the same page with that guy instead of having one of Jerry's boys calling the plays for him. The the big thing about this game was two parts. Andy Dalton was really good, 377 yards and three touchdowns. Ezekiel Elliott got a wake-up call the week before because Tony Pollard looked great in his absence. And Zeke ran the hardest I've seen him run all year, had 105 yards. It was good to see there's something left in the tank. And let's face it, when you look at the Cowboys right now, the chance that they could get in, they're not a good team. They're terrible defensively. But as a Cowboy fan, would I watch a playoff game? You bet your damn ass I would. I want to show you something, though, about this game because there was a play in this game that shows how incompetent somebody is at their job. Al Riveron's the head of NFL officiating. Al Riveron's the guy that when we look at replays and there's a challenge, he makes the ultimate decision of whether or not to keep the play as it was called or to turn the play over. Jalen Hurts was scrambling late in the game, was hit, ball came loose, Cowboys were awarded the play. Oftentimes, the NFL officiating group will put out a video in support of their ruling. Look at this video and listen to Al Riveron's explanation of why they kept the play on the field as opposed to ruling Hurts down by contact. The ruling on the field is that of a fumble. As we review the play, we can see that the first body part to touch the ground by the runner is actually his left knee. When his left knee touches the ground, the ball is already moving. Therefore, the ruling on the field stands. When did the ball move? The ball moved after his knee was down. Look, I haven't refereed in over a year. I miss a lot of calls when I did referee. But that one, you're looking at it in slow motion. You're telling me the ball moved before his knee hit down. What the hell are you looking at? And then you put that video out in support of it. It's unbelievable to me. Al Riveron is as bad at his job, and it's a high-paying job, as anyone is in America at their job. Everyone has a job, and you look, and you're like, man, how's that guy still got a job? It's crazy. Really? How does she still work here? She doesn't do anything. El Riveron's that guy. How does he still have a job? I know they created that position and were blindsided when Dean Blandino left to go to Fox. They created that job for Blandino. He ended up taking money, going to Fox. They weren't ready. Put River. You've had three years now. The dude is ridiculously bad at his job. And, you know, here we are going into the playoffs. You can't have something like that in an important game. 
Now, you can make the argument that was an important game, and I don't know if it was or not because the Cowboys might not make the playoffs. But if Washington loses this week and the Cowboys beat the Giants, that play is going to have an impact on whether or not a team made the playoffs because Al Riveron's completely incompetent at his job. Mind-boggling. Multi-billion-dollar industry has one of the most important positions filled by a guy who I wouldn't want refereeing my high school game. Just crazy. Seattle beat the Rams, and this is bad news for the Rams, potentially. They will make the playoffs most likely. Jared Goff suffered a dislocated thumb. He had surgery, probably won't play in Week 17, likely to miss time and maybe miss the playoffs. And, And the Rams are not prepared. And while I like Sean McVay's, creativity as a play caller and the opportunity he would give anybody. I just don't see it in a playoff game that he's going to be able to do that in Seattle. Their defense has come along really strong. Jamal Adams back healthy impact player. They picked up Carlos Dunlop, another impact player last five games. They have kept their opponents under 20 points. You do that in the playoffs, you win football games. And then I mentioned this game earlier, the Packers trouncing the Titans. Aaron Rodgers is just a cheat code at this point. But Devontae Adams, how about the year he's having? He caught 11 balls for 142 yards in the snow up in Green Bay. Three touchdowns. 13 games he's played this season. 109 catches, 1,328 yards, and 17 touchdowns. Crazy. So here's where it is in the NFC. You've got the Packers right now at 12-3. and They beat the Bears at Soldier Field. They're going to get the number one seed. If not, a lot of things can happen. Both Seattle and New Orleans are at 11-4. and Seattle plays San Francisco at San Francisco, and the Saints play at Carolina. If those teams win and the Packers lose, the Packers could go anywhere from 1-3. to So keep an eye on that. I mentioned the NFC East race earlier. Looks like Tampa will be the five seed. Rams likely to get the six seed. They play at Arizona or they play Arizona in LA. Arizona has a chance to get in because they're only a game back of the Rams. The Bears are only a game back, but it looks like it's those teams, Rams, Bears, Arizona for that last spot. Little more housekeeping in the NFL to keep up with. I mentioned that the number one pick is going to the Jags, Trevor Lawrence. The Jags, if they make the right hire, GM and coach, they are going to be a team that I think quickly can turn things around. I'm not saying win a Super Bowl next year. I'm saying in two to three years, they could be a very good franchise. You get your franchise quarterback, you end up continuing to build. They don't just have the first overall pick. They have the fact that they're going to have the second, a second first round pick, two second round picks, a ton of money in cap room. This is a team that's loaded with draft capital, loaded with free agent potential money. And again, Trevor Lawrence is just a difference maker. Black Monday's coming up. That's one of the Mondays that we all look forward to. Because we find out which teams are going to whack their coaches. Well, we've already had three this year. Bill O'Brien, Matt Patricia, and Dan Quinn of the Falcons have already been out. Generally, six to eight coaches turnover per year. 
almost a quarter of the league. Adam Gase is gone. There's no doubt in my mind. They can win the third game in a row this week. Thanks. Appreciate it. Should have fired the defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, a couple weeks earlier, and maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation. But, no, he's got to go. Doug Marone, got to go. You lose 14 games in a row, yeah, you got to go. Anthony Lynn, it's tough for me to say this because I really like Anthony Lynn, but I think he's got to go. I think he's a guy who's certainly cost his team a chance at wins. You can't have that. It can't be part of it. Other guys who could go. So that would put us at six. If those three go, and I think those three will go, that puts us at six coaches gone. I got four other names to keep an eye on. Vic Fangio, the Broncos have said, is staying, and I, I think he should. Defensively, they're a good team. Other than the Bills, nobody's really lit them up. They haven't found their footing yet offensively. Injuries, you lose Vaughn Miller. You're going to lose a lot, and they certainly did. I think that Vic Fangio gets another year in Denver. Zach Taylor's a tough one for me in Cincinnati. He's done very little to show that he's competent as a head coach. But at the same time, when you lose Joey Burrow, you've got that excuse. Me, if I'm the Brown family, I'm pulling the trigger because this guy's shown me nothing in two years that makes me think he's got them on the right page. Doug Peterson in Atlanta is an interesting case because he's got a Super Bowl win. If he didn't, there'd be no doubt he'd be on this list. I, I don't know if he should get fired. I don't know if he will, but I think he can be. And it's it's going to be an interesting conversation that the Eagles are going to have within that building. And frankly, it may come down to Sunday. They need to may need to beat the Redskins with Jalen Hurts at quarterback to decide whether or not they're going to go forward. And and the last the last guy I got to bring up is John Gruden. Gruden's got a 10-year deal. He's got, I believe, seven years left on that deal. A month ago, I thought that the Raiders were a playoff team, and I said on the pod that they're going to win playoff games. Yeah, well, that, that was a long time ago. He has a way of grinding his team out, and they don't finish strong. The NFL's all about finishing strong. I'm not sure that you can look at this Raiders team and see where his impact has shown an improvement. I think that they've done some things offensively with Josh Jacobs, and I think Carr's improved the offensive line solid. But I'm not sure that he's the right guy for the job in Oakland. It would surprise me if he got fired. It wouldn't stun me if he got fired. So keep an eye on that. So that's the football. One more week left, and then the best time of the year, football playoffs should be epic this year. And, of course, the Bills – are going to be a huge, huge story going forward. One way or another, they're going to be a big story. Major League Baseball, we are in the hot stove time. And it's interesting to me because this year is so different. Many owners lost so much money last year that they're looking to not spend money or shed payroll. We saw that last night with the Chicago Cubs trading you Darvish to the Padres. The Padres a day earlier added Blake Snell. In two days, the Padres added 40% of their starting rotation. They've also got a couple of young pitchers in Lamette and Paddock. Zach Davies was really good last year. Mike Clevenger 
won't pitch this year because of Tommy John. But this is a team now who still has seven of the top 100 prospects in the MLB pipeline. It just shows how important your farm system is. If you have a deep and talented farm system, you can take on salary that other teams aren't willing to pay. And I think we're going to see that. The Dodgers don't care about salary. The Dodgers will figure out a way to pay their bills. The Yankees used to be that way. They're no longer that way. They're fiscally responsible, and it may cost them D.J. LeMahieu in this offseason. And the Dodgers may be the team that wants D.J. LeMahieu. There are going to be a few teams. Dodgers are going to be one of them. I would expect the Mets with a new owner who didn't lose money last year, a new owner who's the richest owner in baseball. I would expect the Mets to spend money, and they're not going to have to spend huge money to get their guys. Right now, guys like George Springer and JT Riamulto, they haven't signed, I think, in part because they're hoping for another offer. They're hoping for a little bit more to come along to allow them to sign for more money. And I don't necessarily think it's going to happen. The Padres last year, though, they're the story so far this offseason. They were a playoff team. They've got Fernando Tatis Jr., who's as good a young player as we've seen in a long time. Manny Machado's still great. I mentioned the pitching staff. They've got prospects. The one weakness on their team, if you will, is at the catcher position. But they've got a kid, Luis Camposano, who's supposed to be a stud prospect. But if it's win-now mode, let me throw this at you if you're the Padres. You've got money. How about bringing Riamulto in to San Diego and use Camposano as a trade ship? A lot of teams would love to have that kid. Young, talented, could be something to think about. And again, most teams are hoping to sign Riamulto for the cheap, like the Phillies. I think they put an offer out, but I don't think it's anywhere near what Riamulto wanted. We'll see where this goes. Interesting stuff in Major League Baseball. And again, if you're a Yankee fan, I hate to say this, I, I think it's better than a 50% chance that that right now, they have lost D.J. LeMahieu. I think that they are unwilling to go as high as he's going to get. And I think because of that, they're going to lose their best hitter this offseason. College football playoff is this weekend. It's something that I really look forward to. I, I think an 18 playoff is the way to go down the road just because I think it builds more excitement into it. But at least now they've got the games on New Year's Day. The New Year's Eve experiment was a disaster. This is something that they need to do. Get them on New Year's Day. You got Bama against Notre Dame. Notre Dame getting 17 and a half. I don't think Notre Dame can beat Alabama. Let me preface the statement there. However, Alabama's not had a very good defense all year. They've given up way too many points. If Kieran Williams can run the ball effectively, Ian Book doesn't turn it over, Notre Dame covers that number. It's going to be a high-scoring game, but I think this is one 45-38. Alabama wins. Keep an eye on that one. The second game is just its a rematch, frankly, of last year. And Ohio State jumped up big, and Clemson came back and got it done. The controversial play in that game could have changed the outcome controversial call, I should say. But this to me is a great test of the two quarterbacks. 
Trevor Lawrence is the clear number one pick. He's the best quarterback to come out since Andrew Luck. Justin Fields is a guy that people love his athleticism. Fields hasn't played well against Northwestern. He did not play well earlier against the only other winning record that Ohio State went against. So he has something to prove, in my opinion. Lawrence has proven everything that he's needed to prove. He's done everything that you could ask for a college quarterback. What I want to see in this one is, can Fields play to a level that brings his team somewhere near Trevor Lawrence to make a team like the Jets sitting at two think about, yeah, that's our guy? Or does he start to slide down draft boards a little bit? He won't slide past five. But at the same time, does he move to the point where somebody has to come up and get him as opposed to a team like the Jets sitting there too, deciding to take him? Should be a very fun game in that one as well. Well, this is our last podcast of 2020. A year like no other and, you know, frankly, a sports year like no other. You know, it started with the cancellation of March Madness. That was something I never thought I'd see. March Madness is so special. You know, living in the Northeast, not only am I a huge basketball fan, but it kind of signifies the end of winter and moving into spring. And the psychological factor there, in again, living in the Northeast is a huge part of it, but gets canceled. Major League Baseball, 60-game schedule. I didn't get into it, but keep an eye on Major League Baseball. Owners are trying to reduce the season again this year because they don't want to lose more money. No way the season starts, in my opinion, on April 1. I think we're looking at somewhere around a hundred game schedule this year, maybe around June, maybe even a little bit later than that. But yeah, it's, it's going to be another bastardized year for major league baseball. But last year, 60 games bizarre. You had the NBA and the NHL and bubbles to get their championships going strange. And of course, then they have the abbreviated seasons that are about to get started in the NHL and going on in the NFL. The NFL just plowed through. We're going to play. We're going to plow through. It's what they did. And somehow, some way, it's worked out. You know, hopefully the playoffs aren't affected. They're not going to be pushing games around, I don't think, in the playoffs. I think they're just going to make teams play. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. We'll see how it handles. And, you know, even the golf world, the Masters in November, while cool, wasn't the same. Wasn't that feeling that you get in April when you see Augusta in full bloom. But 2020, the sports year will be one that we always talk about, just like the year 2020 will be one that we always talk about. I wish you and yours all the best for 2021. I can't wait for a better year. Personally, I have had a lousy 2020. Probably no worse than everyone else's, but mine sucked too. So very much looking forward to it. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falk It Around podcast.